As always, uh, Father, we're just thankful to be here, and we just pray, as always, once again, you would teach, we would listen. Just let your spirit guide and direct, and as we just go through this, Lord, um, just some tough stuff sometimes to hear, but I know, Lord, that it's said in an encouraging way through your spirit, and just pray that we'd all learn and grow by this in your name. Amen. All right, the goal here tonight is to finish up 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, this is kind of a, a tough message in some ways. And the reason it's a tough message is because of the, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the honesty of what Paul goes through and what he's talking about here. Because, you know, I like to find little things to help you remember. You know, one of my little catchphrases we like to say out here is the two W's. God has called us to worship and to witness. Well, there's not two W's tonight. There's two S's tonight. And they're not fun words. I wish I could think of better ones, but they're not. They are suffering and being a slave. I know not really great words there, but that's what it's about. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about here tonight as he goes through this. And as he goes through this message, he's talking about the sufferings that we go through as Christians. So what you have here in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we split this chapter up, we've kind of done this a little bit. Paul is kind of in defense mode, if you will. He's in defense of him being an apostle. You remember the background of this book. He wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians was not really well received all that well. Paul was pretty straightforward and honest with it. And we've talked about that through this study, that God says we have to be love you enough to be honest with you. And sometimes that's something that we don't want to hear. We have to be loving enough to speak the truth. Well, what happened is these people that didn't like Paul were now saying all these things that weren't true about him. So the book of 2 Corinthians was written to correct some of the things that were said and to also, for lack of a better word, to give a defense of Paul being an apostle. And that's what you kind of get in here tonight. Because look at verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 11. Paul's writing, For I consider that I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. He goes, I'm not lower than another apostle. Even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I'm not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, not literally, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. And the truth of Christ is in me. And no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. Paul is basically saying here, hey, I'm an apostle. He goes, I'm not inferior to these other people there in verse 5. He goes, my only problem is, and he's saying this a little sarcastically, he goes, I don't boast about it. He goes, I'm not walking around telling everybody how great and wonderful I am. These other guys are walking around telling everybody how great and wonderful they are. He says in verse 6, he goes, you're right, I'm not good at speaking. He goes, but I'm not dumb. I'm not in knowledge. He goes, the only thing I've done, verse 7, was I wrong to humble myself so that you may be exalted. Wow, isn't that a neat point that the leader of the church would be so humble that people even question them? The problem that you have nowadays is that you see people becoming the uh, face of certain ministries where now they get elevated above everything else. God says that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be humbling ourselves to lift up other people. And as you lift up other people, they go out then and spread the gospel of Christ. Paul says, why did I do this? Verse 11, because he loves them. He loves them. That's the whole point he's trying to tell them here is, is I Love you. That's what he's trying to say. And since he loves them, he's concerned for them. Now, we did verses 13 through 15 last week, so jump ahead to verse 16. It says, I say again, let no one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little when I speak. I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since yourselves are wise." 
For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But And whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. What Paul is basically saying here in verses 16 through 21, he goes, you want to get into an argument of uh, pedigree and background? He goes, let's get into that argument. He goes, you want me to boast about why I know I'm called to do these things? You want me to get into who I am in the Lord? Fine, I'll get into who I am in the Lord. Now this is where it gets interesting. Because if you were going to have a conversation with somebody to prove how intelligent and smart and called you were, what would you normally do? You normally list your education, you normally list your background, you normally list your accomplishments. You know, we get books out here all the time, and at the end of these books, there's so many letters after these guys' names, I don't even know what they stand for. But they have letters. Letters after their names. And that means something. It means the world thinks they're smart. And on the back of all these books that we get out here, it usually says, oh, so-and-so is the pastor of this church, the seventh largest church in the United States, or something along that type of line. It's like, who's really keeping track of that? Or say on the back of this church, and if it may not be one of the top ten, they'll say over 3,000 people come through their doors weekly. That's what we boast about. We boast about letters after our names. We boast about education. We boast about how big our ministry is. That's what we like to boast about. So when Paul gets down to the nuts and bolts of this, he says, you want me to brag? You want me to prove how big of an apostle I am? He goes, fine, I'll do it. Verses 22 through 33, here's Paul's braggadocious letter. He goes, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Now here, look, look at his accomplishments. And labors, more abundant. And stripes, above measure. And prisons, more frequently. And deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. According to the Old Testament law, you couldn't give 40 stripes to somebody because 40 stripes would kill them. If you're not familiar with 40 stripes, what it is is they would take this whip, usually made out of leather, and at the end of the leather whips, they usually had like uh, different endings to it. They'd put little pieces of metal or bone and a hook. So that way when it got you in your back and they pulled it back, it would rip the flesh up. Generally speaking, people did not survive being whipped 39 times from the amount of blood loss. And they said supposedly it could be so gruesome that it would get down past the layers of skin down to bone. So Paul went through this five times. So the good Jews that they were, well, God says we can't do it 40 times, so we'll just do it 39 times. There we go here, verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night, and the day I've been in the deep. And journeys often, and perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, and weariness and toil, and sleeplessness awful, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for the church. Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is made to stumble, and do I not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Basically, he goes, I'll boast in my weaknesses. Verse 31, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. And Damascus, the governor under Arturus, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascians with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And I find this fascinating. This guy's ministry is on trial here, if you will. People in this church at Corinth was putting down Paul behind his back left and right. This guy's not smart enough to be an apostle. He's just a fake apostle. He hasn't done anything. Look at us. We're educated. We're well-trained. We're good at speaking. So when it comes for time to, for Paul to defend himself, the only thing he does is he just, all the stuff he's gone through. Now, isn't that fascinating? Think about that. That's how he decides to defend himself. Because look what he says right there in verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. 
Paul did not need any man or woman to pat him on the back and say, we know you're apostle, good job, go get him, tiger. He says, I do this for the Lord and the Lord only. And if you want me to boast about it, this is what I'm going to boast about. I'm going to boast about what I suffer through for the kingdom of Christ. This is not something you hear a lot in the church because God has called us to a suffering. And that's not a fun word, is it? That's what he's called us to is this idea of suffering. Miles, can you put up that next slide real quick? There's a bunch of verses on suffering, and I could go on and on, but these are just three that really hit me I want to share with you. First one from Philippians 1. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Look at the next one, 2 Thessalonians. That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. And in 1 Thessalonians 3, For in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. Go ahead and leave those up there for a while, Miles. Um, we're going to suffer. And when I, was, when I was working on this lesson, I thought, okay, that's what I want to do. I'm going to talk about the suffering. I'm talking about being a slave to Christ. And I thought, boy, it's going to be tough to find a verse on suffering. There are so many verses on suffering in the Bible. It was, it was hard to pick the ones that you wanted to put up there. Look at those verses one more time. It's been granted to you to suffer for the namesake of Christ. I don't remember which missionary it was, but I remember early in my faith, I wrote a story about a missionary who was over in Africa sharing the gospel, and he was assaulted and attacked by these tribesmen. And as he was being assaulted and attacked, he was hit in the head. And he said he went down to the ground. As he was hit in the head, he felt the blood come down. And he put his hand up, and he felt the blood on his hand, and he said he couldn't help but smile to think, wow, I get to suffer for the kingdom. It has been granted to you to suffer. Look at the next one. Counted worthy of the kingdom of God, which you also suffer. The next time you are suffering for the kingdom, think, wow, I'm worthy. We don't think about that, do we? And look at the last one. They told us. You would suffer tribulation. You would do it. Now, in a lot of churches and around today, these verses are just totally ignored. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and this and that. God also says you're going to suffer tribulation in this world. And if you're in tribulation and suffering, it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. It doesn't mean that you're wrong. I mean, if you would look at Paul's ministry here from verses, well, 23 through what, 28, you would stop and say, my goodness, this man's not right with God. Obviously, God's trying to get his attention here. No, God's not trying to get his attention. He was right where God wanted him to be. But this is what happens when we suffer. First thing we do when we suffer is what? God, make it stop. That's human nature. We do. We've shared this joke out here before. The next time you get a headache, what do you do? You go get some Advil probably, right? I don't think any of you stop and lay on the couch and say, Lord, use this headache to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, we don't think that way. The next time you have a bad day at work, you're like, Lord, just make it end. Just make it go good, can't you? We never stop and say, wow, through this bad day, when everybody else is falling apart, by me keeping my calm, cool, and collect, I could really be a light and witness for the Lord. Lord, thanks for giving me a real pain in the butt, boss, because that's a better example of Christ. We never think those things. We are so trained now that when we feel suffering, Lord, make it stop. Where God has tried to say throughout the Bible, you will suffer for Christ. That is a fact. And to try to ignore that fact is to ignore a point in Scripture. And just because you're suffering does not mean you're in some type of sin. It doesn't mean that God is weak and stumbling. It doesn't mean that there's a problem in your walk. It means God says, I'm going to use this for my glory. Now, I look at this right here when Paul received these stripes, 39 lashes. you know how long the recovery would be for something like that? And once you've gone through it once, when you got tied up to get it done a second time, wouldn't you really stop and say, Lord, is it worth it? But then to go through it three times, and then four times, 
and then five times, he was willing to suffer. Let's just be honest, and I'm not thinking of anybody individually when I say this, because this is just how we are. We really whine and mope and pout about a lot of tiny little things, don't we? I mean, we really whine and mope. Boss said I had to work an hour overtime, crying out loud. Yeah, that's, that's equality of 39 stripes. I mean, one, that's, that's just the way it is. We, we complain about so much. Got a flat tire. You know, Paul spent a day and a half in the water on a board of some type. I don't know. It's amazing how we whine and complain. And God says part of what we do is going to be realizing this world is cursed. And since this world is cursed, we live in a cursed job. We live in a cursed family. We live in a cursed marriage. We live in a cursed body. We're going to suffer. Now, before everybody thinks, okay, well, you know what? This is really not a good way to really share everything. Well, here's the flip side. If you choose to live without Christ, you're choosing to suffer too. Did you look at verse 20? For you put up with it. If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, Paul was telling the church at Corinth, he goes, you guys willfully suffer according to the world. And don't you see that in the world today? Think of an unsaved friend. Do they not put themselves into bondage? A bondage of alcohol? A bondage of pride, a bondage of lust, a bondage of money. Do they not see themselves being devoured? They get devoured by the world. Look at the next one here where it talks about if one takes from you, what do they take? People take all the time. They take purity. They take desire for life. They take it, exalted, striked on the face. Paul is saying if you choose not to live in Christ, you're going to suffer just as well. Now how is this for a package deal? You choose to become a Christian, you will suffer. You choose not to become a Christian, you will suffer. Now, there has to be a catch to this, right? Well, this is where it gets really interesting. Turn, if you go to Romans chapter 8. If anybody wants to sit here and say, well, we don't suffer in the world. I know some non-believers and their life is pretty good. No. The non-believers suffer just like everybody else does. The only difference is we have the eternity of Christ to help us through. Sickness hits all. Problems of life hit all. Finances hit all. So what do we do? Well, look here in Romans 8. This is a really nice balance to find out why do we suffer, Lord? Well, look what it says right here. Verse 13 of Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now right there, isn't that just simple, straightforward Christianity? If you try to live without Christ, you're going to die. But if you give yourself over to the Spirit, you're going to live. Okay, now right there, to me, that's enough information to stop and say, why would I not want to be a Christian? Death or life? I mean, it's really that simple, straightforward. We both still suffer. We haven't answered that question yet. But that's point number one is if we're both still going to suffer, why would I not want to suffer in Christ versus suffering in the world? Let's go on, verse 14. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For if you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now that's nice. Let's just stop right there. But the problem is there's verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. Now let's just stop right there. That's even better. If indeed we suffer with him. See, there's that stupid word again. See, this is, this is where just look at the logic of this. You're a child of God. So as a child of God, you're an heir of God. If you're an heir of God, you're a joint heir with Christ. Christ considers you a brother and sister in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? But what did Jesus say? If they did these things to me, they're also going to do it to you. So if Christ suffered, we're going to suffer for the kingdom. If you are living an outspoken, on-fire Christian life and you're not running into any persecution, I want to know how you're doing that. I'm not saying you're looking out there to be a martyr. 
You're not looking out there for someone to deck you for your faith, but the truth of the matter is when you make a stand for Christ, there is going to be sufferings that go along with that because that's the world we live in. But why would we go through it? Because look at the last part of verse 17. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That's where the whole catch is. As a non-believer, you can go live in this world and face suffering. Because you are. You're going to face suffering. As a believer, you're going to go in this world and face suffering. So right there, there's still no difference. Well, why would I still want to be a Christian? Because here's the difference. As a Christian, the end of verse 17, my suffering leads to being glorified together with Christ in heaven. I'm suffering for a purpose. The purpose is the kingdom of God. Now, if you still don't get it, and you still don't like that, then you're missing out on what Christianity is. The problem with America today is we have presented Christianity as the rose garden. Once you get saved, it's just wonderful. I mean, God just gives you peace and love, and, and, and it's just the greatest thing that's ever going to happen to you. And, and if you get saved, if your husband's not saved, he'll probably get saved tomorrow. If your kids aren't saved, they'll just get saved right away. And next thing you know, whatever sickness you have, it's going to be healed. And next thing you know, checks are just going to arrive in your door. And it's just the greatest thing in the world. Why would anybody not want to be saved? Well, because what happens is the Bible says when we get saved, we still have a cursed body. We still live in a cursed world. We still have these things that happen to us. We still suffer. The only difference is as a believer now, when I suffer, there's a bigger purpose to it that therefore there's going to be a glory coming later on in verse 17. Check out verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I tell you, that is a refrigerator verse. That's a verse you underline, you highlight in your circle. You do all that. You are going to suffer in this present time, but compared to what you're going to get at the end, it is not comparable. It's not. Now, does this mean you're not allowed to have bad days? No. But just listen to me. Don't allow the tiny little things of the world to bring you down. Come on, guys. You know you're going to have bad days at work. You know you're going to have car trouble. You know you're going to get a little bit of sickness here and there. You know you're not going to get along with your spouse all the time. You know you're not going to get along with your kids all the time. You know there's going to be headaches. You know there's going to be body aches. You know there's just going to be suffering. We know that. So with this understanding, okay, God, the glory that comes later, it's not comparable. It's not comparable. It's worth the exchange. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. He's going back in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11. He goes, if you choose to reject this, he goes, fine, you're still going to live in bondage. You're still going to have people try to devour you. People are still going to try to take you. And, and spiritually speaking, they're going to slap you in the face. He goes, it's going to happen whether you're a believer or not a believer. He goes, but when he goes through his second half of 2 Corinthians 11, he goes, but when I suffer... It's for a purpose. It is for that deep purpose there of God is going to use this for him and his glory. And you know what? God's not trying to fool you. He said it's going to come and happen. And that's part of our Christian walk is how we do we handle these sufferings. And some of you may be sitting here saying, well, if God is such a God of love and God of concern, why does he allow this stuff to happen? Because he loves us. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If he loved me, these things wouldn't happen. Just think about this for a second, parent. You have kids. You love your children. So if you love your children, you've kept every bad thing from happening to them, huh? No. Some of the sufferings that we bring upon ourselves are really nothing to do with God. They brought upon ourselves. I have never once in the years that we've had kids just said, hey guys, haven't spanked you in a while. Let's just come on. No. There's an action followed by a consequence. There's times where they've gotten hurt where it's nobody's fault. There's times where they've got hurt where it's somebody's fault. 
and they suffer for that. Just even, I think it was last night, the boys were acting up. I went into their bedroom and I said, listen, guys, this is one of my favorite phrases. I say, no more grace. I say that, no more grace. So I said, be good, go to bed. I'm not kidding. Less than a minute later, Kenan's coming out. And if you look at Kenan tonight, his one eye is almost swollen and it's got this big black thing. What happened? Well, Judah grabbed onto him for some reason. And next thing you know, Kenan was trying to get away and he fell into the door. So go up to him, sit him down, talk to them. And I tell Kenan, I'm sorry you got hurt, bud. I am. This is a consequence of wrestling around in your bedroom in the dark. I mean, that's just a fact of life. And what happens, though, and I have these people come into my office. Woe is me. Well, what did you think was going to happen when you did X, Y, and Z? I'm not trying to pick. I'm not trying to be unloving. They don't like to hear that, but the truth of the matter is sometimes we bring this suffering upon ourselves. Now, for some of you may be thinking, I've not asked for this. I agree. There's some sufferings I see people going through that they've not asked for. But I also look at Paul's list right here that he went through in verses 23 through uh, 30, excuse me, 29. I don't know if Paul asked for all of this, but he was willing to take it because of all those passages that we have up there. It's been granted on behalf of Christ to suffer, counted worthy to suffer. And then you know what? He said, it's just going to happen. So that's the first S, is the suffering part. Now, before we get into the second S of slave, and this one's a much straightforward one, does anybody have any quick questions, comments I want to ask before we move on here? Yeah, John. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as we know, this was, yeah, he even says himself, he was not a very powerful looking man in any way whatsoever. And even just from a uh, physical standpoint, assuming of what these 39 lashes would do to your back, I mean, when the scar tissue would come back, I mean, just the, the, the physical shape that Paul would have been in, I, we can't imagine of everything that he went through here. The beating with rods, the being stoned nearly to death, the ship. I mean, this guy physically would have suffered a lot. This guy would have been a wreck physically. There's no doubt about that. Have anybody else have anything to say about the suffering part before we move on? Let's talk about the next one here, the slave part. There's a real quick passage here, and then we're going to go to the main one that we're going to talk about. What hit me with the slave part is, look in verse 20. For you put up with it, one brings you into bondage. Man, how many times do people put themselves into bondage? They put themselves into bondage. They put themselves into the bondage of alcohol. They put themselves in the bondage of drugs. They put themselves in the bondage of relationships. I know people that just have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They get done with one relationship. They just can't sit there and wait for God to bring somebody in their life. they got to jump right into somebody else. That's a bondage. It's amazing what we put ourselves into as slaves. And yet these people that are in bondage to these sins, they think they're free. They think they're free. I, I can do whatever I want in life. You Christians are the ones who are under all those regulations and requirements. I can do whatever I want. No, you're in bondage to drugs and alcohol and sin and sex and lust. That's a bondage there that they put themselves under. Paul says, do you not get it? See, here's the thing about being a slave. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 6 real quick. You've you, you got to be a slave to something. Once again, just like with suffering, if you choose to be in the world and reject Christ, you're going to suffer. If you choose to be in Christ... You're going to suffer. The only difference is when you're in Christ, you suffer for later on glory that comes later on. And also when you're suffering, the Bible says God gives you peace and strength, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a love that surpasses all understanding. He says, I will work through this. Well, the same thing about being a slave. You're going to be a slave to something. There's just no doubt about that. Look at it right here in verse 16 of Romans 6. Do you not know that whom do you present yourself slaves to obey? You're that one slave whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Paul comes out and says, you're a slave to something. You're either a slave to Christ where you say, Lord, you are my master and controller, and so therefore I willfully give my life over to you. Guide me, lead me, direct me. I am yours. That's a slave leading to righteousness. Or you're a slave leading to death. 
You have to choose neither what you're going to be a slave. Look at verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in those things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life. Isn't that the truth? For those that can remember before you got saved, think back to your weekends and your nights and your evenings and your communication and your dialogue and everything. It's a shame. I mean, we sit there now and it's a shame to, to talk about what we used to do and what we used to say and how we used to act. As it says in verse 21, what fruit did you have in those things? Paul says, you're a slave to that sin. But here's the hard part. You've done this a lot. I've done this a lot. You talk to somebody who's not saved and you try to explain that to them. They don't get it. They don't think they're a slave to anything. Once again, it's that whole freedom thing. What do you do in those situations? The most you can do is pray. This pray that the Spirit speaks to their heart and you just got to pray that the Lord would just touch them. I remember a few years ago, there was a guy, got a phone call from somebody who comes out to church here um, saying, hey, there's a guy from the community and talking to me and he got a drug problem. Will you, will you talk to him? So I said, send him on out. So he came out to church and I sat down and talked to him. And this guy had major, major drug issues, major drug issues. And so he kept going through. He was like, what's going on in your life? And, well, you know, he couldn't pay the rent, couldn't hold down a job, couldn't have a relationship. So those are the th three things that he wanted to talk about. Couldn't hold down a job, couldn't pay his rent, and um, I even forgot what the third one was, but he couldn't do those things. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, you, you told me you have this drug issue, so all your extra money goes to drugs. That's why you can't pay your rent. Who would want to date you and be around you because this is the type of person you are? So that's why no one's have a relationship. And the reason you can't keep a job is because you're either too stoned or drunk to get up and go. I said it a lot nicer than that. But the truth of the matter is, that's the truth. He didn't get it. He, 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 he did not get it. I still run into this guy every now and then. He is still the same. It's a few years later. He is a slave to that, and he doesn't get it. Now, for me, it was obvious. I wouldn't want to hire you. I wouldn't want to date you. And I don't even know what you do with your money. It's so obvious from the outside perspective, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't get it. We just got to pray. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. And you sitting here tonight, you know loved ones and friends that are enslaved to something. You know it. And it may not be the drugs and the alcohol. It may just be work. I know people are enslaved to working as much as they can to get as much money as they can to move ahead. They're enslaved to their perception in the community. What do people think of them? They're enslaved to this or that. They're enslaved to something other than righteousness. And you know what? I've even probably seen Christians that are a slave to lukewarmness. <laughs> Just the easy-going, middle-of-the-road, comfortable Christianity. God says no. It's a tough thing to be a Christian. It really, really is. But when we suffer, we suffer for a reason, for the eternal glory. And we enslave ourselves to God because we know that He's the Master that's going to take care of us. He will meet our needs. He will comfort us. He will bring us peace in the middle of the storm. He will show us unconditional love. That's why we willfully submit ourselves to the Master. Because that's who we want to be enslaved to, is the God of love. So Paul here in 2 Corinthians 11, he goes, you know what, you want to boast, you want to compare track records, you want to compare pedigrees, letters of recommendation. He goes, here's my letter of recommendation. I suffer for Christ. That's what he says. Boy, let's have that same mindset. Let's, can't think of a better word, forgive me for it, let's be proud of suffering for the body of Christ and for the Lord to be a light and a witness in all that we do and say. And to be quite honest with you, 
I don't think many of us are ever going to be called to suffer with 39 lashes, a night and day in the deep, being stoned. God just may call you to serve under that boss right now that's very difficult, to work with those co-workers that you can't stand, to love that husband or wife that is really difficult to love, or just to show patience to friends and family members that you don't want to show patience to. God may say, I'm not calling you to the physical suffering, but can you be a light and a witness in a dark world? Can we do it? Life is tough. There's no way around that. But here's the last verse I want to share with you, and then we're done. John 10, 10. John 10, 10. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the world wants, to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says that Christ has come and to give us life, to give us life more abundantly. That's what John 10, 10 says. There's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. Let's keep our focus on the cross. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up with a word of prayer? Yeah, Marcus. Mm-hmm. How do you make the connection between the suffering and the reason for your suffering? The best way to answer that is to take you back to the book of Job. You know, that's the one key thing of the book of Job. You go through Job, you go through 40 chapters of that guy's life and how much he suffered. And as best as we can tell in the book of Job, it was never revealed to Job why. It never was. Now, we know why because we have Job 1 and 2. We see the beginning and we see the bookends. But to Job, it was never revealed to him why he went through all that suffering. We see the big picture of it, though. And so I would say to that question, as to be honest with you, Marcus, sometimes it is revealed. Like, wow, Lord, because of this, I got to do this. It's, it's simple. I remember one time, Dawn and I got a flat tire over in Defiance. And it's just one of those things. You got the kids in the car. The tire's flat. You can't do anything about it. Well, we took it to Sears. The guy fixed the tire. And once you know, we got a chance to witness to him. Now, that was simple, straightforward. Okay, God, fair exchange. Flat tire, got a chance to witness to him. Okay, that's kind of cool. Now, I've had other flat tires, and no witnessing came out of those flat tires. Um, that one was obvious to see. Flat tire equaled this. I've shared with you before my one uh, pastor friend that I know real well. Uh, his name is Ed Gaines, and he has been uh, struggling with having to do dialysis for, I think, a couple decades. And he used to all the time say, healing. Every time he go to a church, pray for healing for me. He had everybody come lay hands on him, pray for healing for me, pray for healing for me. Then he said he finally realized, wait a second. By me going through dialysis, he's so many nurses and doctors that I get a chance to talk to and spread the gospel of Christ. And so now Ed has a good sense of humor. He goes, please don't pray for healing. He goes, I don't want to be healed because this is my ministry and this is my witness. And he realizes as he suffers in this area, it's a chance to spread the gospel of Christ. So to answer your question, Marcus, yeah, sometimes it is obvious. B follows A. Other times, I don't get it, man. I'll be the first to say that. I wish it was. Sometimes a little more obvious. Yeah, John. Yeah. Stephen suffered, and his, his reward for suffering was he got to go home before everybody else. And so, you know, you look at that, and you stop and say, okay, um, you know, th- there's still that verse. I mean, a verse I've been quoting a lot lately is uh, Psalm uh, 116. It says, precious in the eyes of God is the death of one of his saints. And sometimes the greatest glory and the greatest reward that God gives us is he just takes us home. And, uh, you know, what a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. But the truth of the matter is we spend so much time in our walk with the Lord in our life trying to answer why questions. Lord, why did you allow this to happen? Or, Lord, why didn't you allow this to happen? Why am I the only one that's single? Why am I the only one that doesn't have the good job? Why am I the only one that's going through this? Why did I do this? And God says, why questions really don't lead anywhere. He goes, it's faith. You just got to trust me that I have this picture in mind, and when this picture is developed, you'll finally see the full picture of it. And sometimes it's not until eternity in heaven. We have to trust that. Anybody else have any final things they want to say? Yeah, Carly. Yeah, it says that in Revelation. Yeah. That, uh, I think it, what's that? Yeah, that is uh, Revelation, Revelation 3.16. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, 
Uh, so then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And depending on your translation, spit, spew, vomit. That's, that's a fun little word right there. So, yeah, that's Revelation uh, 3.16. Fine, if you want to be picky, Carly, I wasn't talking about you. But, but if you keep pushing it, I will be. So, you don't care. Yeah, that's right. You're just like Paul. I don't care. <laughs> so, anybody else got any final things here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Lord, I just do pray that you'd be with us. And, um, Lord, we will suffer persecution. We will suffer suffering. Your word has said that. When it happens, help us to see the big picture. Help us to see you in it. Lord, reveal to us maybe the why. But if you don't, Lord, help us just to walk in faith. And, Lord, as we go through these difficult times, help us to be a light and a witness that we can truly point people to you in our difficulties and our sufferings. Because, Lord, even in the middle of the storm, you are there with us. And I thank you and I praise you for that. And Lord, all of our unsaved friends and loved ones that are in bondage, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, you open their eyes to you. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have good